Yeah. Glorious day. Good coffee. And a good and great God. Hmm. Greetings and salutations in the name of our Lord. I hope you're having a fabulous day. Uh, this is Paige. Here's my coffee. We're going to have to talk some Bible talk. Today you get to hear me rattle on and think with my mouth open as we go over Romans chapter 13. I'd like to show you a little bit about what I do sometimes uh, when I'm preparing for these devotionals. I go to a site called the Bible Gateway. Bible Gateway, this Bible Gateway app, I pay for this. It's not real expensive, but you have a ton of Bible study helps over here. So you can look over here to the right-hand side. You have your scripture, like today we're covering Romans chapter 13. And then you have what's called suggested resources. NIV is my Bible translation of choice. Uh, but it, you have Bible study helps for any kind of Bible that you like out there. It's pretty amazing. And I use these three primarily when I'm preparing. NIV Grace and Truth Bible Study, NIV Bible Study Notes, and the Zondervan Illustrated Bible Backgrounds, Commentary of the New Testament. Basically, this first one handles it paragraph by paragraph, gives you a paragraph overview. For instance, first paragraph is verse 1 through 7. And the first section is 1 through 7. And you see it it aligns up with uh, with the headings. Submission to governing authorities, 1 through 7. Love fulfills the law, uh, 8 through 10. And 11 through 14, the day is near. All right, so it gives you an overview of the section, which is kind of cool. And then you come down here, and there's a breakdown of verse by verse. So if there's a particular verse that you uh, have questions about, this is probably where you'd find some more answers here. And it it involve, it it will send you to uh, other scripture references. For instance, um, let's say verse 8. Let no de- debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. So I go over here and I find 8. There we are. And it says continuing debt. To love is the one debt that's never paid off. And it explains that concept in that verse. All right. My favorite part of all this, though, because I'm I'm a history nut, is the Zondervan Illustrated Bible Backgrounds Commentary of the New Testament. I click on this, and it has entries for many, if not most, of the verses that you see in this thing. And it, and it gives you some cultural background. For instance, the Christian and secular rulers. It'll give you uh, some more cultural information. Look at all that information. Look at all that stuff. If you're a nerd like me and you like to read, you like to read this stuff. Um, let's see here. Look, look at all this stuff. It talks about the gods and the culture of the Roman Empire at the time. And it adds some more information to what uh, you may or may not already know. All right. That's kind of what I do when I'm reading through this stuff. I'll read the passage, and if if there's anything that jumps out at me, I'll go to, then I just go through this, the, the section overview, the Grace and Truth Study Bible, any specific verse I have a question about, and I don't do this for every verse, but if I have something that draws my attention, I'll dig into a little bit there. I do spend a lot of time on the Illustrative Bible Backgrounds Commentary, because I'm very much a firm believer in understanding as much as I can about the culture of the time. 
All right, now, join me in reading the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and was buried. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, why do I like why do I like to read the Apostles' Creed every time out here lately? Well, it is the core of what I believe as a Christian. And it's a very concise summary. If I only had 30 seconds with someone in an elevator, I would probably, and they want to know what I believe, I'd say this. I believe in Jesus Christ. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered on a Pontius Pilate. He died, he crucified, was died and was buried, and he rose again on the third day. There it is. That's what I believe in a nutshell. The Apostles' Creed is a, just a short, concise summary of what the New Testament teaches about Jesus Christ. Everything else that we learn in the New Testament has this at its hub. So by reading it on a regular basis, I'm committing it to memory by virtue of just reading it every day. I fully expect within a month or so that I probably will be able to quote this thing verbatim and have it committed to my memory. Because this is what I believe. If my Bible were taken away, if my church was destroyed, and I had this in my heart, it would be enough. So that's why I read it every day. I think it's an important part of our culture and our heritage. All right, let us jump into Romans chapter 13. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority, then do what's right, and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. All right. Boy, is this a loaded paragraph or what? Do you mean I'm supposed to obey President Biden? Yeah. Did I vote for him? No. Am I supposed to uh, obey the government that we have over me? Yes. Even though I didn't vote for many of the people in government? Yes. Now, does this mean in our culture, in American culture... That we can't speak out against it? No, it doesn't mean that. We have that freedom. And it's your right. 
to speak for righteousness, to speak for truth and justice in the American way. Sorry, couldn't help but throw in that Superman quote. But your Paul is telling them, don't practice disobedience. Anarchy is not a Christian response to the government. Now, should the government enact laws that directly violate God's precepts, that is a different story. But as it exists right now, yes, you are required to obey because it's it's the Christian thing. It's the it's what we do. We are not fomenters of rebellion. Christians should not be terrorists. Christians should not be uh, anarchists. Every government on this planet is there because God has deemed it so. And that even means Russia and Putin. It means China. It even means those countries in the Middle East who have declared death to Christianity and to Israel. If God is sovereign, then you have to accept the fact that every one of these nations and every one of these governments is in place because God has deemed it necessary and so for this time and place. So it's tricky. People on both sides of every issue like to use this passage of scripture. People who aren't Christians say Christians need to bow their knee to the government and Christians want to fight against what they perceive to be the injustice of our government and the governments around the world. That's You know, it's just not an easy thing, is it? But Paul is pretty clear here. The authorities that exist have been established by God. You start there. Consequently, as a result of that, whoever rebelled against that authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. This is also why you pay taxes. Oh, Paul, you've gone from preaching to meddling now. This is also why you pay taxes for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If you owe revenue, then pay revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Paul is pretty clear. Now, he's also talking to a period in time in Rome where things are kind of dicey. Rome has already kicked uh, Jewish people out of Rome for a time. They've come back, but... Rome has a very dicey relationship with Israel. And in fact, Israel is getting ready to step up, ramp up into a major rebellion against Rome that ends at the battle at Masada, I think in the late 60s, uh, 8060s. And Rome is suspicious of Israel and Judaism. And inasmuch as Christianity is connected with Judaism, Christianity was also suspect. As Christianity moved away from Judaism, they became even more suspect because they would not, as a rule, bow to the emperor. They would not worship the emperor. They would not offer sacrifices to the emperor. In fact, the accusation against the Christians of the day was they do not believe that the emperor is divine. They say there is only one God, Jesus. 
So um, this was a dicey time. And Paul's basically telling Christians, hey, keep your head down. This uh, taxes isn't a reason to fight the government on. Um, Give to everyone what you owe. Pay your taxes. Give honor. Keep your head down. It's just, it's a very common sense thing to do. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. An old preacher once said, if I love my neighbor, I'm not going to steal his cow. If I love my neighbor, I'm not going to hurt him. I'm not going to murder him. Love your neighbor as yourself. Time and time again in these epistles, we keep coming back to this concept because it's universal. If you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you love your neighbor as yourself, you will be fulfilling the law. The law is viewed many times in a negative connotation. It tells you what not to do. Don't murder. Don't covet. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Whereas love is like the positive reverse side of that. Love your neighbor. You won't steal from him. Love your neighbor. You won't covet what he has. Love your neighbor. You won't kill him or hurt him. Love is a positive side of these commandments. These commandments say, don't do this. Love says, do this instead. So if you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the law. Devoting our lives to love is more radical than fulfilling the prohibitions in the Ten Commandments. Instead of spending your life worrying about the things you're not supposed to do, focus on loving, doing something. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our, our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Now, Paul's using some pretty figurative language here talking about the end times. I don't know if he felt or if they felt that uh, the second coming of Christ was imminent, that he would return in the clouds soon. Obviously, that hasn't happened. It's 2,000 years later. We're still talking about it. Uh, That seemed like a long time, but I think in terms of eternity, 2,000 years is just a drop in the bucket. But he's saying the time is near. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. This is a clear example of the New Testament teaching of the imminence of the end times. These texts don't necessarily mean that early Christians believed that Jesus would return within a few years. Rather, they regarded the death and resurrection of Christ as the crucial events of history that began the last days. We are in the last days and have been in the last days since A.D. 
33 or 34 when Jesus was crucified. Since the next great event in God's redemptive plan is the second coming of Jesus Christ, the night, no matter how long it may last, is nearly over. The day, the appearing of Jesus Christ, which ushers in the consummation of the kingdom, is near. We are living in the last days. And we should live, we should live as if his physical return is imminent. It could happen at any time. It could have happened back then. It could happen a thousand years from now. It could happen tomorrow. It, we, regardless, we are living in the last epoch of God's redemptive plan. Prior to Jesus, there was the choosing of the nation Israel, laying a foundation with a people that would produce prophets who would be the voice of God to their generation, who would become a light to the Gentile nations around them, who would reveal through their lives, through their faith, and through the words written down by the prophets that would expose their God to the world around them. There to be the light. And then through this nation, this chosen nation, the Messiah came, born of a virgin. And the Messiah died and rose again. And now this salvation is offered to the entire world. And it comes through the nation Israel. Israel has served its role in the redemptive plan. It gave us Torah. It gave us Messiah. It gave us the prophets. It gave us the law. It gave us what we would call the Old Testament. And the next phase of that was ushered in by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We are living in the last age. So, we should live accordingly. The hour, does, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Our salvation is nearer now than it was when we first believed. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. It's time to wake up. We are in the last times. And when we get around to looking at the book of Revelation, which will probably be soon on my list of books to cover in the New Testament, we're going to discover that there is, we are in the midst of an incredible battle. And though we don't see it with our physical eyes, in the spiritual realm, I believe things are really heating up. The enemy of our soul was uh, deceived and beaten badly by the resurrection of our Lord. But that, and that has not stopped him from dying, trying to destroy what the Lord has brought forth in the church. 
we are living in the last days. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness, the things that glorify the enemy of our soul. Not getting drunk, not carousing or partying, no sexual immorality, debauchery, no dissension and jealousy. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, by implication, he's saying clothe yourselves with the exact opposite of what he just read. Soberness and true joy, not carousing and drinking and that false joy that drinking brings. But live a life in true joy. Live a life in sexual with sexual purity. Don't divide. Don't be jealous. Rejoice. <sighs> Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and don't think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, the words in these verses, which caused Augustine, a saint uh, in the history of the church, to reevaluate his life and turn to Christ, give a positive and negative application following the need to be awake in these last times. The near end to the night means that the coming of Christ has brought the last days of salvation history. There are no more phases of new promises, new laws, no additional covenants. Negatively, we should leave behind what belonged to the old life. Positively, in this new age, we should put on the armor of light and clothe ourselves with Christ. We are what we wear. So we should devote ourselves to the service of Christ, focusing positively on devotion to Christ will crowd out our sinful desires. It's time to put our focus on Christ. There, it, there will be times when revival will wax and wane. There will come time when evil will seem to overwhelm. That's to be expected. We are living in the last times. Battle sometimes will rise to a fever pitch. Governments, society will raise itself up against God and therefore the people of God. It has happened time and time again. Hitler with the Jews and the Christians. China and Russia with the Christians in times past. When I went over to Russia in the mid-90s, uh, it was a rough time local governments and sometimes their federal government were actively involved against Christianity. And it was hard to see. But at the same time, it was an incredible blessing to see how the Christians responded to it. They're children of the light. They put aside dissension. They put aside jealousy. They pursued Christ. They learned to love their neighbor as themselves. They learned to love God with all their heart, soul, and mind, and that made the difference. It was a powerful lesson in humility that I got when I went over there on a mission trip. All right. Paul, as usual, laying it down. I am going to bug out of here. This is Paige. Here's my coffee. I'll see you later. Have a great day. Bye-bye. In hard times, love God. Love your neighbor. Have some coffee.